0: The Torah reading today begins with the following line. V'yihi achar hadvarim dvarim Sometime later, or a long time later. "Veha Elohim, God or the God or the deity. Veha Elohim nisa et Avraham, tested Avraham. Vayomer elav, saying to him, Avraham. It's a good place to start, it's with someone's name. Avraham. Vayomer Hineni, and he answered, Hineni, here I am. In Jewish tradition, we say Hineni when you are fully in the present moment. It's, the, it's an answer that says, I know exactly where I am, I know who I am, and I know with whom I am. It's a start for all kinds of... Uh, ways of changing in this world. In the story itself, Avraham does not hesitate to then follow through with the test. There are many, many interpretations around the test, but let's remember that the mainstream interpretation is that Avraham has already been told that Isaac will live and follow through with the blessing and with children. And not only that, but remember that Avraham was the one that argued with God about saving innocent people at Sodom, and God said, you are right. The innocent do not deserve to die. Knowing that Isaac is perfectly innocent, knowing that Isaac will live, the test of Abraham is saying, I know who I am. I know before whom I stand. I know my son is innocent, and I know that I will not have to follow through with this. So that is the idea of the testing commentary, although we can always take other positions that inspire other kinds of readings. But the importance of starting with this today is hineni, that today is the day I begin. If not now, when? What are you waiting for to start in your lives? I have had years where my resolutions have not been all that successful. And that's okay, because we get forgiven for not following through with our resolutions. But sometimes they have been successful. So some of my biggest examples, I don't know if you relate to them at all, but at least they're, they're real, Years ago, I realized that I didn't like the fact that I had distorted speech in the fact that I tended to exaggerate. And I didn't know why I did it, but, you know, if something I started something three days ago, I'd say, I started a week ago. Or if I was telling a story, I I just would exaggerate a little bit for a dramatic effect. And I realized, reading the laws of speech in Judaism, that that's not okay. That we have to have a purity of speech, and when there's no reason to exaggerate, don't do it. And so... I made a little vow, made a little New Year's resolution on Rosh Hashanah, and followed it through on Yom Kippur, that whenever I do that, for six months, I'll correct myself. And for six months, I corrected myself. And every time I said, well, about a week ago, actually, it was three days ago, and I just did that for six months, and it was amazingly successful. Many years ago, several many years ago, I don't know what it was, I was going to, many years ago, what does many even mean? Well, I'm trying to figure out, like, when it started, but it was probably seven years ago. I had a conversation with my physician, and my physician said, imagine your future self. You know, you're in your 50s. He said, look, what do you want to look like when you're 70? What do you want to look like when you're 80? And you got two very little kids. Imagine your future self. And how much did you weigh at college, and how much do you weigh now? So the difference was, without exaggerating, about 20 to 25 pounds, closer to 25. I was a coxswain at college, by the way, uh, in crew, and so we had to weigh in, and you had to be uh, under 130. So another little factoid about the rabbi you'll bring up at some point just to, like, make me miserable. Lose 15 pounds. So you can look the way you want to look in 15, 20 years. So I made that resolution every year, and I didn't do it, and I did it this year. And I just got to the Hineni point which is, if not now, when? I had lost weight at one time, so I knew that keto works for me. you got to know what works for you. Is it exercise? Is it this? Is it that? Don't, don't worry about what worries for, works for everybody else. Know what works for you, because part of hineni is, I know who I am, right? So I know what works for me. So for me, thanks to my mother for all those years on Shabbat serving salad niçoise, because I lived on salad niçoise. Salad, green beans, and eggs, and tomatoes and uh, tuna fish. So I made myself, I said, hineni, I'm going to do it. And I did it. I'll tell you what my vow was this year, because i read an article that said you should share your vow and you should update people on its progress once a week. You should pick one person and tell them, yes, I lost a quarter pound this week. Or yes, I took a walk to the end of the street and back. Or yes, I woke up one morning and did bird watching, as I said I was going to do. Or Yes, this week I wrote half a page in my journal, or I wrote two lines of poetry. You should be updating someone once a week, the science says. And again, that comes from two PhDs from the University of Michigan, so it's got to be true. (laughs) And so this year, my resolution is to be less negative. Uh, There's a lot to be negative about, and I've always been defensive about my negativity because it's all true. When we talk about our government, there's a lot to be negative about. Talk about Israel, there's a lot to be negative about. There's a lot to be negative about just about all kinds of things that happen on every single one of my days. And so whenever someone says, well, it's a little uncomfortable that you're so negative, I would say, yeah, but it's true. I mean, you've got to admit. And so I realize it may not be the worst sin in the world, but he nani. It's not who I want to be. When I picture my future self in a year, and in five years, and in 30 years, and in 50 years, I don't, want to per- I don't want to be the person who exaggerates. I don't want to be the person who says, yeah, but I introduced the negativity. I just don't want to. So every time I'm negative, and you'll probably hear me because I could be having a conversation with you, and you'll hear me correct myself for six months. So for six months, I'll be something like, yeah, but you know, I don't know, no one comes on the second day, or blah, 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 whatever I'm going to say. And I'm like, well, you know what? People do come on second day, and they're pretty fabulous people. So give me six months to correct myself and support me in doing so. I'm looking over there at Harvey Berman. I'll embarrass Harvey for a second. If you were here a couple of Shabbat ago, Harvey was up here chanting the Haftarah. I was like, Harvey, this is awesome. When was the last time you chanted Haftarah? When was the last time? Forty-two years. Forty-two years ago. <laughs> My gosh, the Israelites had already gotten to the Promised Land and uh, <laughs> lost a war too. And Harvey said to me, I just decided, he was was up here, he just said, I decided. Am I quoting you right, Harvey? I just decided, hineni, now, if not now, when? Right? I just said, how hard is it? You shouldn't pick something too dramatically hard. I mean, you should pick something that's... So let's go back to the parasha for a second. Hineni. The time is now. It's really doable. But yesterday's parasha also was about vowels. in the the Haftarah. The crucial turning point of the story of the barren and dejected Hana, which is in verse 11 and 109 in the Maksor, v'atidor neder v'atomar Adonai Tzvaot. And she made a neder, she made a vow, she made a resolution saying, Adonai Tzvaot, the first time people call God in the Torah by that name, God of the constellations, God of the heavens, if you will remember and not forget me, then... And she makes a conditional vow. If I get pregnant, I will donate my child to the priesthood. When the child is born, her husband Elkanah prepares the redemption fees, but she tells him that she's not going to redeem the child through payment, which we do even when we do the ceremony, haben, but actually she's going to truly donate him. And there's kind of this moment of quiet... And then Elkanah assents. So she consults him. Hannah tells Elkanah in a way that a conversation might ensue. Maybe he doesn't want the child donated to the temple. Avraham does not. Avraham does not consult Sarah. He does not consult Yitzhak. And in Midrash Tanhuma, as I often quote, the rabbis are not kind to Avraham in this way. Yes, he's fantastic. He knew, if not now, when, nene, I know who I am, I know who God is, I know who Yitzchak is, I'm good. And the rabbis say, oh, that was well. But he should have told somebody. He should have told somebody what was in his mind and what was in heart. And this is the reason that Sarah immediately died and Isaac depressed. So it tells us something about the vows that we make. So remember, she made a neder. A vow, a resolution, we're coming up in just a week on Kol Nidre. And remember what Kol Nidre is. All vows, however, expressed that we have vowed and sworn and dedicated and made forbidden upon ourselves, from this Yom Kippur until next Yom Kippur, may it come at a good time. We regret having made them. May they all be permitted, forgiven, eradicated, and nullified. May God veto them. And may they not be valid or exist any longer. Our vows shall no longer be vows, our prohibitions shall no longer be prohibited, and our oaths shall no longer be oaths. So, vows are a crucial part of our spirituality. And interestingly, Kol Nidre is saying, God is forgiving you for last year's vows, and God is even forgiving you for the rabbi's comment that he's not going to be so negative this year. Because God wants to say, give it your best Rav Nadav but I'm not holding you to it exactly, okay? We have to have some compassion for ourselves, that we have the freedom to dedicate ourselves to something spiritually important to us and to our lives, and yet know that God is with us but not against us. So you might say, wait, Nadav, this neder thing, that's not the same thing as a New Year's resolution. And I would be inclined to agree, because vow sounds like a very legal term, But actually, the tractates of uh, the Mishnah and the Talmud, their entire tractates on nidarim, on vows, and they explore what these vows are. And amazingly, rather than restrict vows to a certain formula that must be uttered, say, I put my hand on the Bible and recite a certain legal formula, rather they follow Hannah's prayer and decide in a way uncharacteristic for their penchant for legal formulations, when legal implications are involved. Because a vow sounds a lot like contract law, and it is, which is the reason we say kol nidre, because God's like, I'm not making this contract official, but let's, let's hear more. That virtually any utterance that passes your lips to yourself or to others that indicates a time-bound commitment <clears throat> is binding as a vow. So, Because Hannah doesn't say, I officially vow. It says that she made a vow, but her prayer was the first prayer ever made. If this happens, I'm going to do this. So the fact that I said, I don't have to put my hand on a Bible and say I'm going to be less negative, the utterance passed my lips. So in an amazing counterintuitive way, the rabbis say, this spirituality is preserved. So what kind of nedarim are there in these tractates? A lot are about vows of not consuming things. You decide, what is it I will not consume? You can think alcohol and intoxicants. And as I said on last Rosh Hashanah, you might think that that's a modern invention, but that's actually a, a lot of what they talk about, both in the Torah and in the Talmud. You can swear off meat. You could swear off processed foods, GMO foods, un foods, produce not grown locally, sugar. You could decide what it is that I'm going to make a vow that that will not be part of what I consume for six months. If you don't use a time limit, as I said earlier, it's 30 days. The Talmud goes on for pages and pages of vows of not benefiting from another. I was like, what is that? And then the example stunned me. Think of not taking money from a relative who controls you. The Talmud's talking about we're not going to take money from that mother-in-law. I mean, interesting. Or not taking money from someone that you rely on because of a lack of your own fiscal discipline. Think breaking codependent cycles when you depend on another to cover for your shortcoming. Say, a relationship where someone at work covers for you. And then it goes on further. You can vow not to do someone else's dishes. Now, the rabbis bring up, isn't this going to create a problem in families where the person who's always doing the dishes doesn't do them? And they say that the spouse has a few hours until nightfall to either veto the resolution or to instigate a conversation about the full implications of their spouse's resolution, or they are vowed to support that resolution. If a spouse views the resolution of another as potentially damaging truly to whether the marriage can continue and would lead to divorce, then they need to have a conversation. But if the person is vowing not to do someone else's dishes who isn't in the family, or vows not to do something for another one of your relatives or friends, you can't veto the vow. So if they say, fine, I'll cook for you, but I'm not cooking for your father. I'm not cooking for your brother. Then that vow stands as a vow, and now the spouse has to support it. One of the vows talked about, the rabbis bring up, what if a spouse, and they're talking about a wife here because men writing it. They say a common one is a woman will say, "I'm no, I am done with cosmetics. I'm done with changing my appearance. I want to appear as I am." And the rabbis say, "Hmm, the husband may not like this, but unless it's dangerous for her, it's amazing where they go." A spouse should tell the other spouse not to keep vows that involve self-harm. For example, someone swears off food, but they know that without that food, they might not do well. Then they can reject that vow. And similarly with these other cases like cosmetics. If it doesn't affect their health, they are allowed to go in that direction. But one should instigate a conversation to learn more about its implications. Exactly what the rabbis accuse Avraham of not doing. I want to go ahead, I'm going to go ahead with something. The other person in the system or at work has a chance to say, Can we talk about this a little more? One of the vows that was shared with me or resolutions from the congregation this year was I am so involved at work that I feel a need to see all of our clients. And there are about 150 of them. And this year, I'm going to be a better delegator and let other people see clients without me looking over their shoulder. So I said, what the Talmud is telling you is this. Have you talked to all of your staff about this? You don't want to be an Avraham that says, I got it this year, Hineni, I'm going to only see 30 out of 150. Unless you include those for whom they have implications to discuss how they can support you. If you're going to negate someone else's vow because it affects you adversely, you must do so on the day it is uttered or your silence is consent. So what do we learn? We learn that we need Avraham's Hineni moment, each of us. We learn that resolutions like Hannah's prayer are what these High Holy Days are about. We learn that one good resolution is all you need and it should be doable and it should be time-bound. If you want to keep going with it, then you'll see if it has become a habit. If you can't go to Minion once a week for three months, then it's better that you don't vow to do it for a year. Be careful that your resolution is healthy. Be careful to communicate to all others that your resolution affects. They don't need to agree with you, but your spiritual life and your relationship life need to be in sync. We learn from this that you don't have to wait for others to act, for you to act. If you want to travel more and your spouse does not, you don't need their permission. You just need a couple of hours. On the day that you tell your spouse, I'm booking a trip to Italy. Should I book for two? I'd really like to book for two. And the other one says, you yeah, know, I'm a home buddy and I don't like to travel anymore. Okay. That's consent, according to the Talmud. So that when you deduct the money for the trip to Italy, they can't say, wait, 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 the next day, I didn't realize it was going to cost so much money. Literally, the Talmud says, that question should have been asked the day before. Because otherwise, now you support another. If I say I'm going to eat salad, niçois every day, and I'm going to pick up crates of black olives from Trader Joe's, right? then... Lynn's got to pick them up if it's her turn to go shopping, if I told her my vow. How can we don't wait for another to move forward? You don't have to do everybody else's dishes. If your vow is, I will no longer bring a dish to the sink, and people like Rav Nadav say, that's no problem, I bring my dishes to the sink way more than you think, then your obligation is to leave those dishes piling up, because that was your vow. And I supported it until those dishes stinked, until Rav Nadav has run out of paper towels to eat his tuna fish sandwiches on and does the dishes himself. I hope in the Psi holidays and leaning up to Kol Nidre, where we do that prayer, that you find your hineni moment. You find your way that you are going to just say, this is the year and this is the time. And I'm letting a resolution cross my lips. And may you find ways to support the people in your life having their hineni moments with love. Shana tova.